All right, today on the Holiday Eighth Ward Living Histories, we're talking with Rachel Nelson. How are you, Rachel? I'm fine, thank you. Good. Now, uh, where are you from, Rachel? I'm we'll, from we'll start there. North Ogden. North Ogden? Yes. Really? Weber High? Weber High. Wow. Yes. How would you describe your, you know, your childhood? Um, well, I am the only daughter. I have five brothers. So I, ha- I feel like I had a unique childhood. My, my dad, um, it was really important for him. He wanted us to learn how to work. So we lived on 25 acres and we grew alfalfa. So really? I grew up with my brothers um, moving irrigation pipes and hauling hay and doing all those things. So we had, we had a really great childhood. It was, I mean, at the time we probably didn't think it was great, but it was great. And, and, um, we lived close to my grandparents, my dad's parents. And so I had, I, I, it was probably what you'd classify as a pretty magical childhood. Magical, yeah. like working. I mean, in the moment, maybe you were yeah. cussing I mean, at your father. And back, <laughs> yes, yes. Looking, looking back at it, I don't think I thought it was magical at the time, but yeah. it was great. So uh, how, how does one harvest alfalfa? Is it a um, complicated process? No. So every day we would move the pipes. Was, my brothers, I never had to be in charge of this part, but we had to count the steps and move the pipes a certain amount, uh-huh. as, you know, obviously how, however far the water went and then move it to the next move the next day. Some in the summertime, sometimes it's twice a day. And then the alfalfa just gets tall enough that then the, we hired somebody to come mow it down and then you have to let it sit for a day and then it gets bailed. And then there's always like the traumatic moment. It's like without, uh, you could almost count on it raining as soon as it would get cut. (laughs) And then there would be like a, it would just be a disaster and it happened every time. But so you get it bailed and then we would pull it in on the truck and trailer and then we'd keep a certain amount for our two horses and then we'd sell the rest and then we got them the and, money. And so alfalfa has grown to feed horses then? Or yeah. is that yeah, the main? It's hay. Hay. Oh, it's just hay. Okay. Yeah. yeah hay is alfalfa. <laughs> oh, gotcha. <laughs> uh, or sometimes there's wheat. You can grow wheat and then it's the yellow bales of hay, but the green bales are alfalfa. Oh, I did not know this. I just figured they weren't as dried. Yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> well, we've so already learned a cut, lot. Once it's cut, it lays in the field and gets dried out, uh-huh. and then it gets baled. Nice. And and you had horses then? Yeah, we always had usually just two. My dad grew up riding horses, and his parents were like in the sheriff's posse, and so we always had two. Mostly, <laughs> he always picked the pretty horses and uh-huh. not the nicest horses so we all kind of were scared to ride them but we did ride them sometimes and wow. got bucked off sometimes and that those are so, learning experiences yes. yeah yes. right <laughs> and did you feel like i mean because this i have a seven-year-old girl and she's like begging me to get a horse and i'm trying to explain to her where you can't just get a horse and put it in your backyard you need no. land you need i mean yes. it's expensive and so forth so did you feel like did you realize you were living the dream or no no i didn't <laughs> i think that if our horses were nice and i could just go hop on the horse and uh-huh. ride around that would have been more dreamy. okay but our horses were never that way. And my dad would, you know, he, he, it didn't matter to him cause he was very well versed in equestrian, whatever. Uh-huh. But if we got on the horse, they were always like jumpy, wild, you know, that kind yeah. of horse. So. so you didn't feel like it wasn't like your, your hobby or, no, or your no. passion. It no. was just, it was like a pet, a really big pet. Yeah. That- <laughs> yeah. That was it. And I, and my dad didn't even read him, ride him that often. He, they still have, now they're down to one horse and he just talks to the horse he doesn't ever ride it so So being raised uh, with all this land and really i mean you've probably felt like a farm girl or a country girl i still feel that way that's why when i when people ask me where i'm from i say north ogden it's actually a different city people make fun of me all the time todd said it sounds like you're 
it's because it's fancy and that's why you're correcting people. I'm like, it's not fancy. It's just very different. It Uh was when my dad grew up, it was all orchards. And so then when I was growing up, there were probably like 12, I think 12 to 16,000 people. It's just like a smaller community Mm -hmm. than Ogden. Ogden is just a city and ours is more like a a town. And I, I do still kind of feel like a country girl. My mom grew up in downtown Minneapolis. And so she is a city girl for sure. And then, joined the church and married my dad. And so her life is way different, but I still feel like I'm, I'm pretending when I'm in the city <laughs> and this is comparatively the city. So. Right. Right. So uh, you talk about sort of this, having this land is that's one way your, your, your father helped you learn how to work. What, mm-hmm. what other ways did your parents parent you? Um, let's see. Well, I think that being the only girl, I think that they made a, like a, concerted effort to not make me spoiled like they wanted to work on me not just being a princess but teaching me to work um we got up at like five o'clock in the mornings on saturdays to weed the yard and Mm. we were always cutting down the mustard weeds and the pasture and burrs and they i think that it was it was just expected that we work and i i struggle with that now because like our kids todd's family did it differently so our kids get like paid for their chores which is like (laughs) anyway i mean we got paid for the hay that we sold but yeah my my dad was very much more old-fashioned and like that's just what you do and and my mom made breakfast every morning at 6 30 for all of us and then had dinner on the table at 5 30 every day it was very like a traditional um a traditional setup so that's kind of what i'm used to and i'm i've morphed more away from that i'm not mm-hmm. as i'm not as structured with our meal time sure but um i they, i think they did a great job with us and the boys were really mean to me and yeah. now they're really great to me <laughs> but yeah, but they were there was a lot of rough housing and i bet it was it, good. in the fields when yes <laughs> working a lot of wrestling i spent my childhood wrestling nice. that's what it is and i don't think many girls can say that but we were always wrestling that's awesome so how would you describe the development of your faith as a young child um, you know, my mom, I just said, my mom's a convert uh-huh. and I, and she now is like the most stalwart, most like, she just is the, the, for use of a better word, the most Mormony Mormon you've ever met. <laughs> so I yeah. think that she, she was kind of the driving force in all of the, you know, our family home evening, our scripture study. And she always was, um, really dedicated in that. And I'm sure that's where my testimony started. The seed was planted and I never, I have the gift of not, I never really questioned. Yeah. I feel like I've always known it. And, um, I, I, you know, there are little benchmarks along the way, maybe like my patriarchal blessing was the first, I think the first time I was on my 17th birthday, the first time I felt like, Whoa, like a tangible, like, I know this is the spirit. Yeah. Was there a specific um, experience behind that or? No, just like having the patriarch's hands on my head. I felt yeah. on my head. I oh, felt okay. like the savior was, it was the savior with his hands on wow. my head. Just a very strong feeling. Um, that's the first time I remember really recognizing it. Yeah. Um, and then no, just having like saying a prayer and feeling warm feelings afterwards, just those small things. I don't feel like I ever had like a, lightning strike it's true you know just little things along the way that have built it and then as i've become an adult and 
experienced hard things, then it's just been cemented. Yeah. I'm, I'm grateful to not have to have ever gone through that trial where I didn't know. Yeah. Cause I feel like I've always known. So. That's great. Um, and anything about your teenage years that, uh, would be beneficial to touch on as far as your development or both spiritual and just, uh, temporal. I, I had a really strong group of friends. Let's see. I had a sixth grade year where my, I had three friends and all three of them, they made some sort of pact where I was kicked out of the friend group. Oh no. (laughs) So I spent sixth grade, um, not, I hadn't, I didn't have any friends and I, and I'm sure like, in, in my mind, I didn't have any friends. I mean, there were girls in my ward. It was just that these were the girls that I wanted to be with and they were choosing to not be with me. So I was just felt like I was on my own. And, um, I think that that was so hard, but I feel like it taught me so many things at a young age. And it taught me actually about, I, I remember my mom stopping in at school, like in the middle of the day and pulling me out of class and, and, she's such a, she's so great and is such a, um, kind of a helicopter mom. And so I would, I can imagine her like, like now I would think that she would like go talk to those moms or like try to uh-huh. fix the situation. But she, I remember her stopping by school and just pulling me out and holding me by the shoulders and saying, are you doing okay? Like we got, we can do this. Like just a little pep talk in the middle of the day. And that has like that, that thought has helped me so much in my mothering, like, we can't fix the problems for our kids, right? You don't yeah. want to fix it for them, but teaching them to just take a deep breath and one foot in front of the other and yeah. move forward. Anyway, so I had that year and then a best friend moved into our neighborhood um, the summer after my sixth grade year. And that kind of changed the trajectory of my, I feel like my confidence maybe even just having that friend that I connected with. And then built a, a really great friend group in my high school. I didn't really, I, I was in the choir that I loved. And I did, other than that, I didn't do like anything extracurricular really. I mean, I did like piano lessons and <laughs> that's your right of passage once in a while. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but nothing like really noteworthy. I just had a really great group of friends, guy friends and girlfriends. And we just did regular teenager things. And I was like, would have never done anything that my parents like, yeah, you weren't the rebel. Me. No, like people would talk about sneaking out. And I was like, no way. I would never do that. Like my mom comes in every night and kisses me goodnight. Every like I would never have done anything that could like get me the I'm disappointed in you talk. But my yeah. parents didn't they weren't like punishers. Like I wouldn't have been grounded or I just like had this inner like, oh, yeah. I don't want to I don't want to disappoint anyone. And I was a so very was dedicated there... student. So. Yeah, so was there a disappointed talk that you got a few times? Oh, or? yeah, I'm sure. Yes. And they said those words? Or, no, my or dad. What? Yeah, oh, okay. my dad for sure. Like, I'm disappointed in you for blah, blah, blah. That was just like the worst. They, no one ever yelled. My parents didn't yell. Uh-huh. Like, it was just like the thought of getting the I'm disappointed in you talk was just like the worst thing you could imagine. Like, I'd rather be spanked. Or, yeah. My dad does say that he remembers spanking me one time when I was really little. And he was so traumatized <laughs> that he oh, was yeah. like, well, well, that's never going to happen again. <laughs> So. so it sounds like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, your mom was, and probably still sort of like a rock in your life, right? I mean, you're constantly yeah, reflecting is. on that relationship in your life. We're very different. I don't, I don't parent the way that she does. I don't live the way that she does just because she's a warrior and like a, 
we're just very different. And uh-huh. my brothers say that my one brother says I'm a man. I have like a man brain. Like I'm not, <laughs> I think just because I was being raised with them, I like, I'm much less, I'm not a warrior and I don't like, I don't know, normal girl. Like you're much more passive. Would you say? Yeah. Or, uh-huh. Yeah. I guess so. And she still is like, so in shock of the way that I parent just, just because I don't worry about things, but yes, it's true. I, she is a rock and she's a, yeah. like the most wonderful example to me, which is funny. Cause I don't, I'm not like her, but I think spiritually we have, yeah. you know, the same level of strength, like testimonies, but she, we are very different. Nice. Um, so you grow up, go through high school, graduate, and then you head off to college or what came after that? Yes, I went to BYU my freshman year. I was going to stay home and go to Weaver State and then um, just had a change of heart and went to BYU. Not There were like maybe three kids from my high school that went to BYU. Hmm. So I didn't go with anyone that I, I didn't live with anyone I knew. Um, I, my freshman year, I lived with five girls in heritage apartments or um, dorms and yeah. I did not, I, it was not a happy year for me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, when I look back on it, people like after the summer, people or after that first year, people kept saying, Oh, I wish I could go back. And I was like, seriously, I did not. I, I think that living with girls was the major problem. A lot of drama. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't ever experienced that. So I, and I had been a very dedicated student in high school. And mm-hmm. once I got to college, I remember my dad saying to me, there are more important things than grades. Uh-huh. So don't just focus on it because I had up to that point, I had been so dedicated and I just, took that advice and ran with it, I guess. <laughs> too far the other way. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, I had a really hard time focusing on my studies. Yeah. I was not. So you're quite social student. then or? Yes, I was, uh-huh. I was quite social. My roommates and I would stay up like every night till like four o'clock. I remember the first night after I got there. Four yes. <laughs> Which I, I guess is more typical night, than that. But. Yeah. The first night being like, my parents don't even know where I am. They don't know, like, I don't have to get in bed. <laughs> I can just do whatever I want. So I did. And it, it, showed yeah I, I i had french every morning at eight o'clock and i would <laughs> yeah. go in my baseball cap and like <laughs> hope that the teacher didn't call on me it was a so it was a very a, a year of of learning how to be a grown-up i guess nice so, did you recover from that the it got better year? yes okay I, I spent a semester on academic probation and then <laughs> now you're the rebel yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the next semester I had to like set goals with the counselor. The next semester I got like a three, nine and she was like, what's going on here? (laughs) So my roommate, my freshman year said, you're very smart. You just don't really apply yourself, which was true. I was not focused on my academics. Did you have to get rid of some roommates or move? Oh, I, every year I, so I had tons of wonderful people. Like I still am friends with some of those roommates from freshman year. Um, but every I moved almost every year and had new fun. I mean, like people were getting married, people, you know, not spots in this apartment or that. But so I think I moved like nine times in my five years in Provo. Wow. So nice. I loved it after my freshman year. So my sophomore year, when I got back, it was the sophomore, my sophomore. So I went to Jerusalem after my freshman year. And then my sophomore year was my favorite year, I think, of all my years. Yeah. But um, amazing friends and and I loved school. I just didn't like to study for tests. And so <laughs> I liked nice. going to the lectures. I, did, I all of that. I really loved. And I love, I love BYU. Yeah. I 
cougar through and through. Nice. nice. So you're in good company here. So <laughs> many in the ward would disagree with yes, us, but I know. We're in enemy we won't territory. tell them. We won't tell them. Um, so uh, w- was it difficult for you to decide on like where to, uh, as far as your major and what your focus was in, in school? Yeah. So I started out as a nursing major. I always loved um, like blood and guts. I loved watching like, <laughs> wow. I know I loved watching like, um, there used to be a TV show called like real life ER or something. Oh, nice. It would show like injuries that came into the ER. I loved those kind of things. I loved all of that. <laughs> but, um, I quickly realized, I think one that I didn't admit, but one, it was going to be really hard to be a nurse, to get into nursing school. Hmm. And I wasn't that dedicated. And I worked, I also, um, Worked freshman year at the hospital and was a CNA and nurse's assistant mm-hmm. um, on the pediatrics floor. And I figured out that I didn't really love what nurses did. Yeah, you I don't. Loved, it's not blood and guts all day. Do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I loved what the doctors do. Um, I didn't love the nurse. The, and and maybe if I would have worked with a different team, it seemed like I was with a lot of like complaining. It was a lot oh, of grumpiness. Yeah. They're all mad at Some the doctors. Negative energy. All, yeah. yeah. So that kind of changed my path a little bit and took me a little bit. And I remember sitting in a Book of Mormon class and thinking, oh, maybe I should t- be a school teacher. Huh. So that's what I did at early childhood education. And a lot of it was because I thought I hoped it would help me in being a mom because that was really my ultimate goal. So, yeah. Um, so that's what I did. I taught for a year after college and I cried every day. Oh, yeah. But I do feel like it, it, it changed the way that I interact with my kids and i'm yeah. glad i'm so you're glad you ha- you're ahead of it yeah i wouldn't change i wouldn't change it but and, and I, did you, I don't ever have to teach <laughs> and so you're you're mom full-time and and it doesn't sound like you're anxious to get back to no, that world <laughs> no i think if i ever had to go to work i think i would probably choose something else nice i don't know but maybe but it did help me should be that doctor understand, right. yeah, yes maybe i'll go to medical school <laughs> no i did help me understand like their brain development and those kind of things that I think are really helpful in being yeah. a mom. So. Nice. so let's talk about Todd. I uh, interviewed him last week and uh, he told the story. So let's get your version of the story. When did Todd yeah. in- enter the scene? Well, our siblings dated, as he said, um, his sister and my brother for a couple years. And um, so when we were freshmen, they set us up. We went on the infamous date to the varsity theater where we didn't sit together <laughs> Um, I thought he was darling, but, um, we didn't, I, we didn't have that much time. He left second half of freshman year to Jerusalem. So oh, okay. we went on another date to do, um, a comedy club to Johnny B's. Uh-huh. And I, the traumatic event of that night was that I had written my name with his name in my planner, wrote like Rachel Nelson in oh, my no. planner. <laughs> And we sat down at the table at dinner and it flopped open to that page. And he didn't ever, he didn't notice it, but I almost had a heart but, attack. So that's where it started. So why did you write your name with his last name? Just because I thought he was so cute. And oh, okay. You know, that's, like that's what girls do. a girl do. thing to do. Yeah. yeah. yeah sure. Sure. <laughs> that's awesome. So did you, you said you went to Jerusalem as well. Right? I did. But that was I, a different time. I went in the summer after he went. So he went second half, like winter semester of freshman year. Mm-hmm. And I went in the summer. Nice. So I think he... He maybe came home like two weeks before I got there. Mm-hmm. Like so. And then uh, he went on a mission. That was before his mission, right? Yeah. So he disappeared for two years. And yes. uh, did you keep in touch? or? Um, I, I wrote to him. I was like a dedicated friend writer. I wrote to all my friends on their missions. I wrote him a letter. I knew there, that like there wasn't anything between us other than 
that we are friends. That's what you thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I wrote him one time, and he wrote back. And one time, he told me that he wrote back to be nice to me because he felt he felt like he should because this <laughs> poor girl wrote him a letter, so he should write back. I think it was only one time. We've found that letter since, like in his letter storage, which yeah. is pretty cool. But nice. that was all. That was freshman year. That was all that happened, really. really. And then he came home from his mission, and it sounds like you were off and on for. A while and was yes. it a, 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 like boyfriend girlfriend or you were just dating? So here this there? is the thing. I was a chronic dater, and I so I was usually dating someone. He wasn't. He didn't really date that much, and so and I was like a, um, I was like a a kisser, and he didn't kiss. <laughs> so for me, if I wasn't kissing him, we weren't dating. So I feel like I have to me, pull him in or defend himself here. <laughs> <laughs> so so we would go on dates i was like yeah this n- nice guy that i've yeah. gone on dates but we're not with, kissing therefore yeah, we're not, not dating they, this right? was not a relationship. i think that's pretty yeah. logical thinking i don't know <laughs> anyway so there was a lot of confusion so i would go i would go out with him whenever he asked me but i uh-huh. wasn't didn't and then you go like, out with somebody else yes. and he'd be like hey what's yeah, going on yeah excuse me <laughs> so i i was um easily distracted uh-huh. i didn't commit easy like it was i i always kind of was looking for what else was going on in yeah. town, you know? Yeah, so yeah. As you mentioned, you were very social. Yes, and yes. At BYU, that goes, really that's bad. what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I was in my selfish years. <laughs> anyway, so I, yeah, I would go out with him whenever I thought he was great, but I didn't, I didn't feel like there was really chemistry between us. Uh-huh. So um, he, he one day pulled me in and said, what's going on here? Like, what, like, do you like me or... Uh-huh. And I was like, I, I want to. I feel like I should. You're really nice and you're great, but I just don't really feel the chemistry. So he's recommended that maybe we kiss and see how we felt after that. <laughs> so we kissed and then we didn't talk for like a year and a half. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> like literally you didn't like from the moment your lips separated, yeah. you didn't talk for a year and a half. <laughs> I sent him an infamous email because I felt bad that I would feel like I wanted to like him and he was so nice. I wanted uh-huh. to, but I just like, because I had been kissing people, it just, I, anyway. <laughs> when you settle down and you're ready yes. for the nice guy, you'll call him. Yes. And you did. Right. <laughs> so anyway, so that year and a half break and um, then all that year and a half, I was like having dreams about him, running into people. We have a lot of like family connections. So running into his family members or people that we both knew or like it, he just was on my mind constantly. And I kept thinking, what is going on here? Like we already did this. I it didn't feel right. Like, why am I still thinking about him? And he's on the other end praying that you'll think about him. No, right? I, at that time he had had it with oh, me. Okay. He was not. Like, <laughs> he moved on. Yes. He never wanted to see me again, basically. So, um, so I just kept, I couldn't get it off of my mind. And so I was like, if I call him, I have to know I can marry him because I'm. Yeah, right. he's not going to like just go on dates with me again. But I just felt like such a strong confirmation from the spirit. I felt like finally, like Heavenly Father was like hitting me over the head with a bat. Like, <laughs> so finally I was like, all right, I'll do it. I don't know what's, what is in, in store, but I'll do it. So I called him and asked if I could talk to him. And he said, about what? <laughs> <laughs> That's a quote. Is that going That's on the quote. record? That's okay. A quote. <laughs> and I mean, it maybe wasn't that mean of a tone, but it was felt inside, I know. Anyway. I said, I just need to tell you some things. So I drove to Provo and I just said, I've, I can't, like, I, you just keep popping up in my mind. I, I didn't want to call you unless I knew I could marry you, but I felt like I needed to do it. And so here I am, but his, 
at that point he heard me say, unless I could marry you. So he basically (laughs) felt like I was proposing to him. So, wow. So he didn't anyway, say, well, I'm engaged or anything. No, no but <laughs> I did our first. So then it took like a week. He came back and said, sure, I'll give it a try. But can't be like it was last time. We have to be focused here. <laughs> and I had moved out of Provo at that point. And so I was I was definitely more focused. Provo was just too much distraction. So um, I would, the, our, one of our first dates, I went to his house. And um, his nephew, who was like three, said, why did you ask Uncle Todd to marry you? <laughs> and I, I'm sure my face. <laughs> oh just my goodness! Flaming red. Anyway, so so how long until the engagement? So was then we official? dated for six months. He he had in his mind a six month trial period to see if I <laughs> behaved. <laughs> um, and so there was some other drama in there because I felt like because he didn't talk about it, I I didn't realize that he wasn't like a he's not that verbal. Yeah, and I was used to like having a lot of relationship talking going on so i felt like we had communication issues but it was just because he was just giving it its trial and then he was gonna propose but i didn't i was like what's wrong we can't even talk to each other nice it was all a mess but like he said in his we got it all out before we got married and now (laughs) it's been great now it's but yes we have not one argument ever right (laughs) yeah we it really like he's I always say he's going to get it translated and leave me here by myself. He's, he's. Well, there is a ceiling that's there. Like, when you hold on to <laughs> He'll that. Drag right? me with him. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, and it sounds like when you got married, then you went off to med school with him, right? That- yeah. So, when he proposed, he said, I think, and I think we could do it before I leave to school, which is in like six weeks. And that, that gave oh, wow. me a heart attack. <laughs> a lot of things gave me a heart that. attack. Yeah, yeah. So, I, uh, um, we figured out that I needed it to go slower. So he went to school in July and then we got married at Christmas Nice. and then I moved out there with him. So how would you describe being the wife of a, of a med student? Um, well, so it took me like four or five months to find a job, which was stressful cause we had no income. Oh wow. So, um, and we were living in this tiny apartment for $1,200 a month, which was just like, everything was so expensive. So that part was stressful, and then I finally got a job, and we just had a great time. It just, like, um, his second, let's see, his second year was the hardest. He had to study for the boards, and I remember the when it got down to it, he had to study, I don't know, it was maybe like a month or six weeks where he would stay in his pajamas and study for like 10 or 12 hours a day. Wow. And that was the time where I thought I was going to go crazy. I couldn't talk to him. I would, like, make notes of things I wanted to say to him. And he was just sitting there in the apartment. Like, a, you know, but wow. I had to wait till later. It was just yeah. like a stressful time, but, um, it was just so fun. We had a really close friend group and, mm-hmm. um, he worked really hard, but when he wasn't at school, then we could just go do, we had some fun adventures, cheap people always ask us for places to eat in Washington DC. Oh, yeah. Like we ate at five guys, like once a month, but other oh, than yeah. that, we just like ate ramen noodles and, but those were just like magical years. And then Audrey, our oldest, was born when we had like seven months left in medical school. Mm-hmm. And um, then the the city living fun went crashing down. Uh-huh. Once you have a baby, it just, yeah, it wasn't fun to drag her It becomes very over. complicated. Yes, yeah. yeah. But we, I just have only magical feelings about DC in those years. It was so fun. Awesome. So. And, and so it sounds like it was a time where you really grew together. I mean, as a couple. Yeah, right? we did. We had a miscarriage actually before Audrey was born and that was a hard time. And I think through all of that stuff, you just get closer and closer. And yeah, so yeah, it was really yeah. a great time. So with these living histories, uh, 
obviously I'm always trying to keep uh, your descendants in mind is, um, and I want them to understand that you are a real person and you had a lot of happy moments, a lot of Should sad moments. Should we cut moments, that so. kissing yeah. Oh, no. No, that's, that's, that's classic. <laughs> <laughs> that's going on your tombstone someday. When they, so, the kissing girl or something. Um, and I don't want to make you cry, but I'll probably make no, you cry. No, you can make me cry. With, it's not hard. With, with the loss of your daughter. Like, mm. I can't imagine, but how would you articulate that for your descendants who are going to face tough stuff and maybe something similar? Yeah, Um so I feel like up to that point, my life had been pretty, I mean, like I'd had like bumps and, you know, like my, you know, just friend problems, fights with my brothers, just like regular things, you know, mm-hmm. but that was the first time where like, uh, it's, it's so hard to put into words even. I really like the most challenging thing to my life in that point, uh, in my life up to that point and mm-hmm. Hopefully I don't have very many more yeah. challenging than that. But um she she changed me. I won't ever be that person I was before. And mm. and I would never choose to go through that. I wouldn't choose for anyone to go through that. But um I just it was such a testimony to me that we get sent here with our own personal flaws. We all have them and and when people say, Oh, it's not fair for you to have to go through something like that. That doesn't really it doesn't really work because we're here to go back to Heavenly Father, right? And if we have to sand off those flaws, we all have to go through it, you know, sand them off a different way. So something in me needed to be changed, and she she changed a lot of things in me. I won't ever be the Rachel I was before Lizzie. Yeah. So so there's a lot of service that little one did in that in that short life for you yeah right and for todd obviously and, yeah. and everybody that that she interacted with um, it, i had a very like when we were following in the ambulance behind her when they took her i had a super strong um feeling that i was going through this so that i could help someone else in the future hmm. and i thought like is it gonna you know so i in my mind at that time thought like oh someone else is gonna lose a child and i'm gonna grieve with them but i've I've learned in the, how many years has it been? Seven years this summer was seven years. Hmm. Oh no, that's since she was born in October. It'll be seven years. Anyway, in those seven years, I've learned that it's just because when we go through a hard thing, we can understand other people on so many different levels than Hmm. we could before. So hopefully I'll help. I don't think it'll necessarily be someone who loses a child just to be able to help each other as brothers and sisters. And you can understand life and hardship better when you go through anything. Right. So hopefully hmm. I can be a help to someone who goes through something hard stuff. they're going through yeah. any, whatever it is anyway. Yeah. And, and just for context, uh, if individuals didn't listen to Todd's story that she passed away of SIDS in three months old. Yeah. That... She was three months old. It was oh. the night before general conference. Oh. And we were packing to go to Park City to watch conference with my family. And she was taking a nap and I checked on her and she was already gone. Wow. And I realized later that I think um, she probably, I was in the room with her probably for like 15 or 20 minutes. And I think she probably passed away while I was in there. Wow. Um, Which was actually a really big comfort to me because I imagined her like struggling and us not hearing her. Oh, yeah. But the fact that they were able to get her back in the ambulance, she couldn't have been gone for 20 minutes in that. Mm. As, as far as I understand, yeah. I don't think she could have. So um, she just went peacefully and yeah. Holy Father needed her. And it was, 
excruciating. Yeah. Not that, I mean, it was, you know, horrific, but also just like heaven was open to us for like, it felt like for like two weeks, the veil was just like paper thin and we mm. had some really sacred experiences in the temple and yeah. So anyway, so, and, uh, and that sort of answers my next question, but really when you go through hard, something so hard, I'm just curious, like what is, how do you get through each day, like day to day, but it sounds like it's just this heavenly strength that, that comes. I do think and my best, I was just telling Kathy Dean's this today. I feel like the, the best explanation I had of it was having this the wagon circle. We're in the mm. middle of the circle, just like, like a swarm of like people who like fringe people in our lives or people we didn't even know, like just like everyone just like circled around us. We were actually living with Todd's parents at the time, which sounds like maybe less, less than the way that you like less than optimal maybe is what I'm thinking, but it was, it was perfect for us because I didn't want to be by myself Yeah. after that. And so just to have people around in the ward, just like took care of us and, I I honestly think it was just that and the prayers that the people offered on our behalf. I don't know. It, it, it's almost like you can't get up the next day. Yeah. But we did. The the morning after she passed away, our families were all at Todd's house and we got up and the first talk of the first session of conference was Elder Bowen talking about losing his infant son. Oh wow. It just it like some tender mercies. Yeah, don't yeah. don't tell me that's a coincidence. Yeah. You know, Heavenly Father is just like putting all the pieces together. And I think that he knows that we have to go through these things. I don't think he inflicts them on us, but he knows we have to experience it. He tries to like soften it the best he can in, in random ways. And if you watch for it, then you'll see how he tries so hard. Like how it's so hard to watch your kids be sad and imagine how he feels watching us. Yeah. But um, just little things like that. Yeah. Um, it's just amazing to, to know that he's in the details of everything. So. Yeah. So you said that it, obviously the experience really changed you, that uh, you're not the Rachel that you were before. Uh, maybe speak more to that. Like, how did it change you? Um, I think that I, it, it makes it like for me, it made me less judgmental. Like mm-hmm. uh, this is a big topic of conversation, like in our, in our era right now of like, everyone's going through something hard. But mm-hmm. I, I think that like, I, after her, I would like go to the store and have like a meltdown while I was like picking out macaroni and cheese at the store, just (laughs) like random times. And you just think like, none of, I don't know what any of these people are going through. Yeah. And, and it could, you know, I, I, we all have our things. And so it, it just made me more sensitive to how I treat people, things that I say, people said some really weird things to me that I know (laughs) they did not mean bad bad by what you know but they just things come out of our mouths that and i've said things even since that i think oh man that is not what i meant but it's made me so much more sensitive to the way i talk to people the way i love and serve and um i think it hopefully it's just made me like a more gentle person Mm -hmm. um i it's made the plan of salvation so much more real Hmm. um and made me think like how how heavenly father loves us as his kids and and just like i said that he doesn't want us to have to go through pain i think that he cries with us um i think the world thinks that 
how could a how could a god do this to us? I don't think I think it's just part of our existence and and he it hurts him too. But in order to get us to be refined enough to be able to live with him again, we have to do it. So anyway, it's helped me understand that better. I feel like my testimony has grown like exponentially. Hmm. And I could see how how grieving could throw you off track. Especially like I think in a marriage, it's taught me so much about grief. Like you get, you don't control how it comes out and then you'd have to manage it once it gets there. Mm -hmm. So I could understand how if you grieve differently than your spouse, it could be a really, really hard on a marriage. Todd and I thankfully um, worked really well together um, in our grieving, but it's taught me so much about just, just, the eternal plan in general. And I think that having a stronger testimony of that plan changes who you are inside. Yeah. And I appreciate that so much because you're right. So many in the world could say, well, how could a loving God do that to you or others? But to recognize the personal change, we all go through the sanctification process in yeah. all this is, you know, you're, you're uh, less judgmental, kinder, gentler, like that's more Christ-like, yeah. you know, and, and what what else is going to get us to that point than these yeah. really hard moments, yeah. right? We all have to do it somehow, and, and maybe some other people's challenges won't seem as hard, or more often I feel like I look at other people's challenges and think, oh, I think I'll choose my yeah, challenge right. package, but I think that only Heavenly Father understands what we have to go through to get to where we need to be. Yeah. And so we're not here to judge other people's trials. Yeah. Um, and okay. the, there's an old saying that, you know, put your trials in a pile and you'll pick your, put put everybody's trial in a pile and you'll pick yours up again yeah. because yeah. we're all going through our thing and for our own unique air, uh, purposes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So what, uh, your kids will grow up, be parents someday. Uh, what advice would you give them about being a parent? Because it sounds like you're, you're a different parent than your mom was and your dad was. I am a different parent. I don't, that's a good question. What will I tell them? I think the and you're maybe to, still learning, right? I know, yeah. <laughs> I've got a long way to go. Um, I think the key to it all is just love. And if you're coming at everything from a the perspective of love and trying to be like the Savior, that we're all doing the best we can. Nobody's a perfect parent. I'm still like you know, repenting at the end of every day for some interactions that didn't turn out the way they should have probably. But if you're going about it the way, the way that you think the savior would and just loving and not, not from a play, you know, not, we're not parenting by anger or scare tactic, scare tactics, then, you know, everyone's going to be a different sort of parent, but yeah. So how how would you, um, this phase of your life and we're sort of in similar parental phases or, or stages of life mm. where it's like you're home with the kids and the kids are everything day to day. It's sort of the kids gauge, yeah. like how your day goes right outside of being a parent. Like what defines you as an individual right now? Outside of being a parent. <laughs> and it's not like something has to, I'm just, if there is I'm something, what else, what, what else is out there? <laughs> Any hobbies or um, guilty pleasures or <laughs> I love to read. If I wasn't parenting, I would be reading a lot more. I love yeah. to read. Um, and I have a hard time putting down a book once I start it. Mm. If I'm really into it, it's hard. Like to... a novel or something? Is that Yes. To... I'm not great at nonfiction. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's hard to admit, but I, yeah, I really love a good book and I will stay up all night and just bust it out. four in the morning. I have a really hard, yes, <laughs> back to freshman year. Um, so reading, I love um, thrift shopping. I'm a thrift shopper. Oh, cool. 
And that may be the seed of that was planted when we were in medical school. And I, you know, but now you brag just, about an yeah. awesome deal, right? <laughs> yes. So now it's, it, uh, most of our kids clothes are thrifted. I just love, like, I love thrift shopping. That's how I like blow off steam these days. If I get away on my own, that's uh-huh. what I do. Um, what else do I love to do? I love to travel. Um, Todd talked about that trip to Vietnam that we took in January and that was really amazing. I, that's the first time I'd ever been able to be with him when he worked. Oh, cool. So that was really cool. And to be able to help those sweet Vietnamese kids, um, change something in my heart too. So, Uh um, that was the first time I'd done like a humanitarian trip. So that was super cool. So it'll be more of those in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I hope so. Um, I love seeing different parts of the world. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Yeah, that's all I can come up with. That's, right well, now. that's pretty of, good. Kind of boring. Uh, no, that, that's great. <laughs> those those little nuances of life, I think, are are interesting to hear. So, um, anything else we've missed? Event? Uh, something about you that we haven't hit on that we should make sure we don't miss? Um, I know the, you, your life can't be contained to forty minutes here, no. but uh, <laughs> I didn't get to. My brothers are like, so all six of us are born within eight years of each other. So we're all kind of like oh, wow. in the same phase. Uh-huh. Um, I'm fifth. So four older, one younger. And you're the only girl. I'm the only girl. Um, and now we, three of us live in Holiday and two are in North Ogden and one's in Highland. Um, we, I feel like I am like the family coordinator, like all <laughs> events are go through me. So that, I feel like that is on my brain a lot. Uh-huh. Um, and I have to drag them all by their ears to spend time together. Once we're there, I feel like we have a great time together. Any trips that we take, it's great. And we're, we love each other and they're so sweet to me. They're all so sweet to me. Um, but it is hard to get them all together. And I, I, like for my parents, I'm like, for sure, like have to be like the coordinator of things. Uh So that is... So that family dynamic a is a big part a of big part of me. Your life, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. I love them so much. They're they're also such good people. My brother, who's in holiday, has ALS and he's really struggling right now. Oh, wow. But it's amazing that we can be here and be spending time with him and with his family, and that's also teaching us a lot of day to day things. Yeah, it's inspiring. Wow. So, all right. So the last question I have is: if you're to hop in the time machine, go a hundred years in the future, maybe two hundred years. What what is the one final summary or message that you'd want your descendants to hear? Um, so I think th- th- I thought a lot about this. I don't know. I feel like we just all have to learn it on our own as we go. But the one thing that I would say, and I, I was in the young women's, and what I really wish that I could teach them is to be working on your testimony every day so that when hard things come, that that's not the time to decide what you believe. And, and some of us have to do that. But if you have like a solid, a firm grip on, on what you believe and what you think is true, it may, it'll make things so much more. I mean, I don't know if it makes them easier, but it makes it more meaningful and, and it makes it more manageable. If you have a testimony and you know why it's happening and why we have to do these kind of things. So it's what I wish for my kids and my grandkids. I I hope that they can ground, have their feet firmly planted in the gospel, so that when hard things come, because they're all we all know they're going to right, um, that they'll be able to manage better and hold on to that, and that it and it will make their 
their life better and happier.